please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know your experience, but choosing names for your children or even for a pet can be a difficult task. First, you like this one, then you like that one, and then you hear of another one altogether. I know that we had a hard time choosing names for our two sons. We were still discussing names for our firstborn son, John, on the way to the hospital for me to give birth to him. I've since discovered that we are not alone. There is now an iPhone app that helps parents with this difficult decision. Indecisive or busy parents can download Kick to Pick, which lets the baby choose their own name. You just narrow the possibilities of your favorite names from a list of thousands. You place the iPhone on the mother-to-be's stomach and wait for the baby to give a hearty kick for the name they choose. It's that simple. And if your child complains about their name when they are older, you can just remind them, well... You kicked to pick it. (laughs) We struggle with these choices because names are important. When we hear names like Aristotle, Hitler, Mozart, Shakespeare, Rembrandt, Shaq, or Madonna, we immediately form a picture in our minds of that person, positive or negative, based on that person's actions and reputation. But as important as names are today, they are even more important in biblical times. In the Old Testament, Hebrew names have definite meanings and often point to a person's character. They symbolize the hopes, expectations, and dreams that parents have for their child. The name describes who you are, and what you are to become. Genesis 25 records the naming of Jacob. Jacob, the younger twin brother to Esau, is born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Jacob means grasper, and figuratively in Hebrew, to grasp the heel is to be a deceiver. And Jacob seems intent on living up to his name as his life is marked by conniving schemes, dishonesty, and deception because he believes that he has to struggle and grasp for everything that is around him. Because Jacob believes that he has to use deception to get what he wants, he takes advantage of his brother's hunger and cheats Esau out of his birthright. Jacob tricks his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that was meant for Esau. And then Jacob tricks his father-in-law Laban out of his best and strongest animals. Jacob means grasper and deceiver, and it's what he becomes.
Genesis 32 brings us to a point in Jacob's life where he has worn out his welcome with his wives, family. He realizes that the deception that has made him very wealthy is catching up with him. So as he has done before, he runs. Only this time, he runs home. As the chapter opens, Jacob prepares to meet his brother, who 20 years earlier vows to kill him the next time he sees him. Scripture tells us that Jacob does what he can to appease Esau and to protect himself from him. Then he sends all of his family and possessions across the Jabbok River, leaving him all alone to contemplate his life, the past and the future. That night, alone in the camp, at the bottom of this dark gorge, Jacob discovers that names are important to God, too. It is here at the bottom of this dark gorge, in the black of the night, when Jacob, thinking he is all alone, learns that he is not, as he enters into one of the most unusual wrestling matches of all time. Old Testament scholars may have some difference of opinion, but most believe that Jacob's opponent is the pre-incarnate Christ with whom he wrestles through the night. Jacob is determined to hang on even after God touches the socket of his hip, injuring him. So when God says, let me go, for it is daybreak, you can hear the determination and desperation in Jacob's voice as he replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me, belying the fact that somehow, deep down, Jacob must know that the blessing he stole from Esau is not enough. He knows he needs God's blessing. And God responds to Jacob's request with a deeply personal and penetrating question. What is your name? It's important to understand that God is not asking Jacob his name because he does not know. God intimately knows each of us. Isaiah 49.1 tells us, Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. Isaiah 49.16 says, See, I have engraved your names on the palms of my hands. This question is not for God's benefit. It is for Jacob's, because God cannot bless Jacob until he honestly faces up to and admits who he is and what he has done. So God asked him, what is your name? God's question is intended to delve into the deep places of Jacob's being. Something that God is interested in doing with us Two, this question reminds us that if we genuinely want to experience inner change, we must begin by telling God our name. We must be willing to admit who we are 
what describes us and what really drives us in life. If God asked you today, what is your name, how would you answer? Would it be, my name is self-sufficient. I don't need others because I do everything for myself. My name is fear. I am afraid of what life may bring. My name is want because I need more and more. I am never satisfied. My name is power. I have to be in control. My name is people pleaser. I am always concerned about what others think and I am driven by wanting their approval. I will do pretty much anything to gain that approval. My name is negativity. I find fault in everyone and everything. My name is arrogance. I am full of pride and feel superior to those around me. I have a sense that one of life's greatest challenges is admitting what really drives us, who we really are when everything we use to hide ourselves is gone. Like Jacob, it's difficult to get our real name out. Often, it's a wrestling match for God to bring us to the place where we are ready and willing to admit who we really are. We fight it because it's embarrassing. It's painful. It makes us feel so transparent. And we tend to avoid embarrassing, painful, and transparent even as we hear those names that might describe us, doesn't something in us declare, hey, that's not me? This may be because we don't want to admit the name that truly describes how we are living. So instead, we spend a lifetime playing games in order to cover up who and what we are. I recently read where Fox Network premiered Moment of Truth, a TV show that challenges people to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Contestants are hooked up to a state-of-the-art lie detector test in order to determine whether or not they are spinning lies while asked a series of questions. If contestants tell the truth, they could win $500,000. To add a little drama, the show mixes spouses, family members, friends, and co-workers into the audience. A few of the questions they have asked in recent episodes include, have you ever stretched the truth or lied to get a job? Have you ever cheated on an exam or lied about how many collateral pages you've read? Do you really like your mother-in-law? The incredible thing about this game is that contestants 
already know the answers, but despite their foreknowledge, they still find the game difficult. And this is the genius of the show. The network executives know that people lack integrity and have trouble being honest because we all have secrets we don't want to tell anyone. But it's honesty with God that releases us from who we are to who we can be in him. So until we say the name that truly describes us, until we acknowledge who we really are, we are stuck. There is no new name until we say the old name, which is hard because saying it, acknowledging it, is taking responsibility for it. Even though there are times when people have hurt us, shamed us, or mistreated us, until we, like Jacob, take responsibility for who we are, we can never be anything else. We can never be who God created and wants us to be. When Jacob finally states his name, he is then being honest with himself and with God. And it's this moment of truth that opens up the way for God to give him a new name. It is basically what John tells us in his first letter. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us which is then followed by an amazing promise of God, as John writes. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Even though we try to hide who we are from God, the surprise is that when we meet God, we discover that he already knows us. He knows us deep down inside where we keep our secret file. He has read everything in that file, and in spite of knowing us to the core, he loves us. As we confess who we are, we begin to realize that despite everything, God still loves us. And it is at this point we begin to experience God's blessing. We may tend to think of God's blessing in terms of prosperity or possessions, success or achievement. But from ancient biblical times until now, the most extraordinary blessing of God is the assurance that we belong to him and that he loves us with an unconditional and eternal love. Isn't it interesting that this isn't God's first encounter with Jacob? Jacob already has a relationship with God prior to their wrestling match. And in spite of the fact that Jacob keeps trying to use God, to manipulate God, to run from God, God's response is to continue pursuing Jacob so that Jacob can receive the blessing God wants to give him. Perhaps we see ourselves here 
we have a relationship with God. We have opened our lives to God in some way, but only to a point, as there are areas of our lives we still don't want God to see or know about or touch. We may be in our own wrestling match with God because his love and grace keep leading him to pursue us, to speak truth, grace, and love into our lives, which is exactly what God is doing when he gives Jacob a new name. After Jacob admits the truth about himself and his life by telling God his name, God tells Jacob, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. The name Israel means God prevails or God shall rule. By giving Jacob this new name, God says, You don't have to be a deceiver who has to try to trick people or trick me to get what you want. I deeply value you and see you as great and princely. God says to Jacob, I have so much more for you than where you are, than what you are, than what you have been. I desire an intimate relationship with you that is based on trust because I love and value you and not because you have already become a different person. God loves Jacob just as he is. The name change to Israel is future tense. This name change is about who Jacob is to become in God. And God loves us in the same way. God will bless you and me, not for what we are, but for who he is, because he is God and because he is our God. And this is God's incredible grace. God's question What is your name? Is intended to help us honestly admit the truth in our lives, who we are in the depths of our souls. He asks this deeply personal and penetrating question with a patient love because he values us and cares about the person we are, and because he wants us to experience his blessing in our lives. As Jacob leaves this gorge by the Jabbok River, he calls it Peniel, which means, I have seen God face to face. And he leaves with two things he did not bring with him, a new limp and a new name. The new limp will forever remind him that in God, he met for the first time one who can overpower him. The new name will forever remind him of who he is in God. God has a new name for each of us. This new name reminds us 
of who we really are to whom we belong. So how do we find out what our new name is? It is tucked away in 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are God's beloved children. Someone has said, that is our true name, our deepest identity, our divine calling. We may find these words extremely hard to believe because we are struggling with negative images about ourselves, things we have told ourselves or things others have said about us. We may feel we have sinned too greatly for God to love us. Or perhaps, in the light of some terrible and unfair tragedy, we believe that God has failed us or is against us. However, Scripture tells us that each one of us is deeply loved and accepted by God. God's question, what is your name, reminds us that God pursues us, that he is infinitely patient and compassionate with us. This question reminds us that God's discipline is always motivated by love. This question reminds us that because of God's grace, there is hope for us that we don't have to be perfect before coming to God and receiving his love. Rather, he takes us where we are and loves us because we are his children. And this question reminds us that God always has more for us than we think he does. Writer Marianne Bird tells how growing up, she knew she was different, and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate, and when she started school, her classmates made it clear how she looked to them. They would make fun of her, calling her the girl with the misshapen lip, the girl with the crooked nose, the girl with the lopsided teeth who talked funny. When schoolmates would ask her, what happened to your lip? She would tell them that she had fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow, it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. She was convinced that no one outside of her family could ever really love her. Then... In second grade, there was a teacher all of the children adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard. Each year, all of the children in school were given a hearing test. Each child would take a turn standing by the door and covering one ear, while Mrs. Leonard would whisper a phrase like, The sky is blue, or Do you have new shoes, 
which each child would then repeat back to her. Finally, when it was Marianne's turn, she quietly waited for Mrs. Leonard to whisper into her ear. She says, God must have put those seven words into her mouth because they changed my life. As Mrs. Leonard leaned in and whispered in Mary Ann's ear, she said, I wish you were my little girl. Mary Ann says, From that moment on, I was a new person because I felt loved and wanted. It was as if I was given a new name because I was given new life. Whatever name you may feel branded by, by yourself, by your choices, by others, by circumstances, God has a different name for you, a name that is rooted in his relationship with you, in his love and grace for you. If you, like Jacob, are wrestling with God about your name, about the sin you are trying to hide from him, with who you are or who you are becoming, can you hear God's gracious, loving voice asking you, What is your name? And as you respond, hear his whisper, You are my beloved child. Father, you know the names that describe us. We want to receive the name that you have for us. Help us acknowledge what we are so we can become what you have created us to be, your beloved children. Through Christ we pray. Amen.